Today we celebrate Mandela Day here and around the globe. Today would have been Nelson Mandela's 105th birthday. We'll be joined by Dr. Claiborne Carson later in this hour for his tribute to Mandela, but I am pleased now to welcome Ambassador Charles Stith back to this program. Ambassador Stith is former ambassador to Tanzania during the Clinton era, founder and president of the Pula Group and president of the Africa President's Roundtable. Ambassador Stith, good to hear your voice, sir. How are you today? Fine, Travis. How are you doing this beautiful day in the neighborhood? Hey, man, if I if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I am doing well, and I'm delighted to have you on as we uh, commence today's program in celebration uh, of Nelson Mandela. Uh, as I mentioned, you are the president of the Pula Group. Um, you are the president of the Africa Presidents Roundtable, so you are in Africa all the time. I actually caught you today stateside, uh, but oftentimes when I call you, you are all over the African continent. Let me just start with a broad question, and we will narrow it uh, as we move through this hour, but uh, when you think of Nelson Mandela on Mandela Day uh, these years later, you think what? He is sorely missed. Um, you know, South Africa has its struggles, and uh, which I think profoundly grow the fact that it's just difficult to get everybody on the same page. Uh, Mandela was not just a uh, national leader, but a global leader, and clearly uh, a voice uh, like his uh, would be more than welcome, given the acrimonious state of politics in our country. Uh, so uh, Mandela, the words that come to mind, sorely missed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. What would Mandela make um, of South Africa right now? You mentioned um, that it's difficult to get everybody on one page. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the acrimonious politics in our country. Indeed, they have acrimonious politics in their country. Uh, and it's always hard to get yeah. inside the head of any particular individual. But whether you're talking about Dr. King or Nelson Mandela, uh, there's enough track record that they left for us to have some sense of how they might be processing the moment that we are in, what's your sense of how Mandela might be processing the moment that his native homeland is in at the moment? Well, I mean, it's hard to say exactly how he'd respond, but let me share with you an observation Mm -hmm. that I think would uh, be something to which uh, he he would respond. Mm -hmm. Uh, Last year marked the 40th anniversary of my first trip to South Africa. Mm. Uh, 1982, the country was still in the throes of apartheid. Mandela was still in prison. Mm -hmm. Um, And you fast forward uh, to today, and when you look over that 40-year period, uh, two things I find striking. One, that during that period when South Africa was uh, sanctioned by most of the world's freedom-loving countries, Mm -hmm. Uh, the apartheid regime was still able to drive development in the country. Uh, And when you look at the uh, first election, the truly democratic election of South Africa in 94, from 1994 to 2004, during the Mandela and Mbeki era, uh, the country experienced phenomenal growth 
and a period of unprecedented uh, inclusiveness. Mm -hmm. So there's clearly talent uh, and intelligence in the white community and the black and colored South African communities. Uh, there's enough to get the co country beyond its current travails. And the fact that that intelligence and capacity uh, is not being harnessed is something that I think Mandela would speak to. And again, when I use the term sorely missed, I think he's one of the politicians the only, maybe the only politician in South Africa who would have the capacity to pull everybody back to the table and say, come on, guys, let's figure this out. Mm. Just getting started in this hour as we celebrate the life and legacy of Nelson Mandela. Today is International Nelson Mandela's Day, Nelson Mandela Day, that is. And so here in this country and around the globe, we are uh, taking some time out uh, to reflect upon the work and witness of one Madiba, uh, Nelson Mandela. And we will continue this conversation when we come forward with Ambassador Charles Stith, former ambassador to Tanzania, founder and president of the Pula Group and president of the Africa President's Roundtable. We'll also be joined in this conversation by Stanford's Dr. Claiborne Carson uh, for his thoughts on the legacy and life of Nelson Mandela on KBLA Talk 1580. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Right now. It does indeed. I'm Tavis Smiley. We're joined in this hour by Ambassador Charles Stith. And now we bring you this conversation, Dr. Claiborne Carson of Stanford, to get his thoughts as well as we celebrate Nelson Mandela Day in this country and around the world. Uh, what a life, what a legacy, what a work, what a witness. And um, it's, uh, it's worth taking a little time out today to reflect on what uh, Mandela uh, can teach us about the present moment that we're trying to navigate through in this country and indeed uh, around the globe. So I welcome Dr. Claiborne Carson of Stanford into this conversation. Uh, Dr. Carson, how are you today, sir? Pretty good. How are you, Travis? Man, I'm well, man, well. Good to talk to you, good to talk, always. Good to talk to you as always as well, and uh, uh, thank you uh, thank you for the time. Let me start with a broad question for you, and then uh, we'll um, uh, mix it up with you and Ambassador Stith here. Um, but I, mean, I asked him moments ago, before you came on, uh, what, his, uh, what his thoughts were broadly uh, about Mandela now. Uh, as you well know, being a historian, uh, when you get some time away from the life of said individual, um, you can you can see things a little bit differently. Um, so now that now that Mandela's been gone gone a few years, what say you about his uh, about his legacy at this point, Dr. Carson? Well, I think I've broadened my understanding of his his um, place in the world history um, mm -hmm. because uh, just recently you may know that uh, I went to Peter Maritzburg in South Africa. Mm -hmm. And uh, to take part in a commemoration of of a conference we called the uh, uh, Gandhi King Mandela Conference, mm -hmm. and um, the whole point was to bring together those three individuals as among the main icons of a movement that changed world history. When we think about it, uh, the reason why I was in Peter Maritzburg is that 130 years ago, Gandhi was denied a place on a first-class train in Peter Maritzburg, and that's what forced him to start thinking about how are you going to fight against racial injustice. And uh, when you see that as the beginning 130 years ago of a movement that's still going on today, 
you realize that uh, it really changed the course of the world. Uh, people began to see that there were other ways of fighting against racial injustice. Nelson Mandela was among those. Martin Luther King was among those. And hundreds of other um, people who became prominent in that movement. Um, but I think only now can we see it as something that was happening around the globe. Uh, that, uh, you know, that at the same time Gandhi was denied his place on the first class train, uh, Homer Plessy in Louisiana, a black American, was denied his, his place, place on a first class train, and that changed the course of U.S. history. Mm-hmm. So you begin to see the parallels and in, in what's going on in all of these different countries, and, and, uh, and so I, I feel like that was, uh, a wonderful way. It was almost a uh, a point in my career where I could see more clearly from the perspective of the present where how far we've come yeah. in the world. Let me ask you, and for those who uh, uh, may not know this, I think our audience knows um, not just Ambassador Stith, but uh, Dr. Clay, Claiborne Carson as well. Dr. Carson was the person selected by Coretta Scott King to be in charge of the King Papers. And for decades, he was the person uh, that brought us these volumes of, of texts uh, that really sort of dissected all of King's uh, works and writings. Uh, and so he will be forever known and regarded and respected and beloved as the person that, um, again, Credit Scott King personally chose to be in charge of the King Papers, and he headed that project for years at um, at Stanford, now doing some other work we'll talk about a little bit later in this hour. Uh, but I wanted to get his perspective on it because when you talk about Mandela, uh, King certainly comes up and Gandhi comes up as well as, you, as you've heard uh, moments ago from Dr. Carson. But let me ask you, before I get back to Ambassador Stith here, let me ask you, Professor Carson, um, to your point about the fact that Mandela changed world history. Um, as a historian, tell me what you see in that regard. It's one thing to give him all these accolades, but when you when you say that he changed the course of world history, that's a lot to put on any particular person. I don't argue that he didn't do it, but what do you mean when you say that? Un- unpack that for me right quick. I, I, I don't think I'm talking about him as an individual. Okay. You know, obviously, he spent 30 years in prison, so he couldn't have done a lot uh, while he was in, in a South African prison. And uh, the same could be said about Martin Luther King. His his political career was maybe a dozen years. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we we use these as a shorthand for looking at so many other people who um, were also important in in that movement. And and I think what I've tried to do is balance against the icons of of understanding that unless so many. Dozens of other leaders emerged about the same time as Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. We wouldn't be remembering Martin Luther King. And it's not that they were following Martin Luther King, but they were all kind of brought up in the in the same uh, political context. And, uh, you know, I, I admire all of them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think in some ways, you know, I was at the March on Washington in 1963, but what brought me there was Stokely Carmichael. Mm-hmm. It was not Martin Luther King. Um, so each of us come at it from a different perspective, and you just have to recognize that uh, Martin Luther King, he, he gave the memorable speech of that march. And, uh, you know, it, it was not accidental. He was, he was brought up to um, 
to be a great preacher. Yeah, um, and, I, uh, and that gave him a, a real advantage over everybody else. Yeah, um, I, I I love the story. Uh, I've heard it more than once. I know Dr. Carson and have known him for years. We've been friends for a long time, and I I always get tickled at the fact that he is so honest and so transparent about saying that he loved King's speech, but it was Stokely that actually got him there. And that's another story for another time. Let me spend these next five or six minutes, if I can, mostly with uh, Ambassador Stith, because I'm going to lose him at the bottom of the hour, uh, and we'll uh, keep, of course, Dr. Carson for the rest of the hour. Um, so, Ambassador Stith, let me come back to you. Let me ask you a strange question. You and I have had many conversations during the course of our friendship. I've never asked you this, but something that uh, Dr. Carson said moments ago makes me think of this. Are there, have there been, again, it's a strange question, but if anybody can handle it, you can. Are there, uh, have there been downsides in South Africa to Nelson Mandela's iconography? Well, you know, the, the, the short answer to your question is, is yes, and I think that's pretty much universal. Uh, you know, there was this uh, cart, uh, not a cartoon, a commercial years ago where they had the food on the table and they said, let Mikey eat it. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you have <laughs> transcended figures like a Mandela or Martin Luther King Jr., the expectation is whatever needs to be fixed, they can fix it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, in, in this sense, I agree with the, the great doctor that anytime you look at uh, 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 people winning, they're winning because they're a part of a team. Even if you can't see the team, if they're winning, they're a part of a team. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that, the, you know, what we saw in terms of the transition in the United States, you know, uh, what we saw in terms of the transition in uh, South Africa, uh, you know, Martin and Mandela were seminal figures. You know, there were a bunch of other people involved in, in driving that change. Uh, having said that, having said that, uh, as I said, I mean, you know, there's a tendency to use them as the only reference point or, you know, to uh, uh, heap upon them all of the responsibility for getting us to where we need to go. But, you know, one of the things that you and I talked about was Martin's last speech mm-hmm. uh, in Memphis. You know, I may not get to the promised land with you, but I believe that we as a people will get there. Uh, so it's a recognition, kind of self-recognition that there were going to need to be others, you know, to carry forward the mantle. And in Mandela's case, uh, his uh, uh, the committing to giving up the presidency after one term mm-hmm. was an acknowledgement that there were going to have to be others uh, to uh, carry the ball forward. The last point I would make is that some of the criticism that Mandela is receiving now, that he didn't fix everything, particularly the economy, shows that blacks had a proportionate share in the the GDP of the country. Uh, I would argue is a little unfair, uh, and for a couple of reasons, one that I've already stated. While we might have expected a Mandela or Martin to get everything done, 
the, the the job was too big. It was too monumental. It was too historically rooted to be turned around during the leadership tenure of of one man. Uh, and so uh, we've got a responsibility uh, to pick up the, the the mantle and carry forward. And um, you know, I think uh, both Mandela and Martin uh, would uh, strongly, strongly encourage us uh, to do what we need to do in this moment to make the change that the moment requires. I'll leave it there. Um, I thank you, Ambassador Stith, for your time. Ambassador Charles Stith, former ambassador to Tanzania uh, during the Clinton era, president and founder of the Pula Group and president of the Africa Presence Roundtable, which uh, keeps him on the African continent all the time. And I did not want to have this conversation on Mandela Day without getting his take on the life and legacy of one Nelson Mandela. Uh, Ambassador Stith, good to have you on the program. I will talk to you soon, my friend. All the best to you. Have a great rest of the day. Tavis. Yes. Tavis. Yes, sir. Tavis, can I make one brief point? Yes, you can. And and that is, while, you know, while I talked about the sense of chagrin that Mandela might have if he looked at what was going on in South Africa today, I want to punctuate that I still remain optimistic because mm-hmm. I think the foundation is there. There's a commitment to the rule of law. There's a talented uh, a group of young people that are percolating to the top of uh, the leadership arc. And uh, there might be weeping in the midnight, but I believe there's joy coming in the morning. Nope, I appreciate that. I thank you for your time. When we come forward after news, traffic, and sports, I want to uh, continue this conversation with uh, Dr. Carson about uh, Nelson Mandela. Uh, and I expressly want to go right to this. I saw Cornell West over the weekend. He was here in town for our celebration of Black Lives Matter's 10th anniversary. And he and I had a conversation on Saturday about what he calls the Santa Clausification of Nelson Mandela. The Santa Clausification of Nelson Mandela. Only Cornel West could come up with a term like that. I'll unpack that when we come forward and probe Dr. Carson's thoughts about that notion, the Santa Clausification of Nelson Mandela. All these years later, you're listening to KBLA Talk 15. Continuing our conversation now on Nelson Mandela Day with Dr. Claiborne Carson of Stanford uh, as we uh, take a look back on the life uh, and rich legacy of uh, this iconic world figure and uh, what we can take away uh, from his time uh, on earth. Uh, so much, uh, I think, to, can be gleaned uh, in this present moment, certainly from all that Mandela was able to accomplish. Uh, his courage, his conviction, his commitment, his character are things that we can draw upon, it seems to me, uh, in, uh, in in a moment such as this. Um, Dr. Carson, I said before news traffic and sports that I saw your friend and my friend Cornell West over the weekend. Uh, we spent some time together and uh, we uh, got into a conversation knowing that we were on the eve of Mandela Day. And he raised an issue that he's raised with me in conversation uh, before. But um, he gave the Nelson Mandela lecture. While Mandela was still living, they started, as you know, an annual lecture in South Africa. Uh, And uh, at one point, Dr. West was invited to deliver the Nelson Mandela lecture in South Africa. He went and gave this lecture. And in the presence of Mandela, he wasn't certain how Mandela was going to take it. But in his speech, he referenced what he called, as Mandela sat there looking at him, um, the Santa Clausification of Nelson Mandela. And what he meant by that, of course, was that the further we get away from his time in prison, uh, 
again, he said as Mandela was sitting there, uh, the more we want to deodorize and sanitize uh, and manicure uh, his legacy. Uh, we don't want to talk about uh, his pushback against South Africa. We don't want to talk about his years in the ANC. We only want to see him as this regal old man wearing that beautiful Versace shirt uh, as president of the country, et cetera, et cetera. You take my point. And you and I have had conversations about the same way uh, they, they did Martin. We have done Martin the same way. We don't want to deal with the radical Martin. We don't want to deal with the radical Mandela. We only want to deal with the part that we that we want to see. What say you then, uh, given that uh, that analysis about the Santa Clausification of both Mandela uh, and Martin, for that matter, as we celebrate Mandela Day? I, I couldn't agree more with that, that idea that uh, we tend to look for icons. You know, we, we look for simplistic ways of understanding history. And, it, and it's convenient to look at, uh, you know, if you look at the last century and just say, oh, Gandhi, King, and Mandela changed the world, well, in some ways that's true, but we're using them as symbols for a lot of other things. Mm-hmm. Because if you say that human rights movement changed the world when did that start when did that end mm-hmm. has it ended now you know uh what what changes that they actually bring about that have lasting impact and what ways we can look at we can look at martin luther king you know what was he trying to do at the end of his life a poor people's campaign it failed mm-hmm. so why are we making him an icon when we see that at the end of his life he was in a campaign that was not going to succeed and that we're still dealing with the economic effects of that failure. So we have to look more deeply into history and understand that it's a symbolic way of looking at a, at a struggle. Mm-hmm. There would be no Martin Luther King without Coretta Scott King. Uh, there would be no Martin Luther King without the Freedom Riders, without, uh, you know, all the other parts of that movement. And when he was assassinated, that was the assassination of one person, but it did not end the movement. You know, they, if you look at it as a human rights movement, it's still going on. There's still people fighting out there for it. They're not getting as much attention. And, um, and for that, we have to look at ourselves and say, why aren't we understanding the, the changes that are still happening in the world? Why are we not looking at the, the fact that in Africa, Africans may have gained independence above the ground. Below the ground, it still belongs to Europe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, who's responsible for that? Yeah, that's a powerful point that they're free above ground, but not underneath it. I, I take it uh, that's a, that's a serious frame that we could wrestle with um, uh, for quite a while if we had, if we had the time. Let me go back to this notion of Mandela being Santa Clausified, as 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 Cornel West put it, because I'm curious as to why you think that is. You said a moment ago that we look for icons, and I get that. I get that we look for icons. That that makes that makes sense to me. And yet, I want to I want to drill down a little bit deeper because it seems to me that there there are there are other reasons, political uh, and beyond, why we don't want to wrestle with wrestle with the radical side of these icons. We don't want to deal with Mandela's radical side. We don't want to deal with King's radical side. What's that about? I, I think we tend to prefer leaders that we can simplify in terms of their, the 
what they were trying to bring about and the means by which they were doing it. Uh, Nelson Mandela was sitting in prison. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he uh, his situation changed is because of a global movement for which he had no control, because the global movement was about anti-apartheid in South Africa. Mm-hmm. That movement was being led by countries outside of South Africa. And that eventually succeeded. And, and, and one of the reasons why it succeeded is in the United States, uh, we be, you know, this country began to boycott South Africa mm-hmm. economically. And other countries made that same decision to pull their money out of South Africa because they did not have confidence that South Africa could, could be sustained. So that's what brought about change. And then they had to decide oh, well, who is going to lead this new country called independent South Africa without apartheid? And the South African government was among those who made that decision, that Nelson Mandela was a suitable person, in part because they um, understood that this person had changed and was among the various leaders of the ANC. He was the one who was deemed most likely to bring the country together again. And uh, that was a decision that he had very little control over, but he benefited from, so that there was a decision that Nelson Mandela would be freed from prison, and uh, that could not have happened without the South African apartheid government making that decision. And and we have to recognize that. And, And it's not something to downplay Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. He is a complex, uh, very brave uh, figure, um, and uh, someone who is singular in the sense that who else could they have chosen? Yeah, you know they couldn't show they couldn't choose a new white president of South Africa. <laughs> they had to choose a black president of South Africa. So who had the the moral stature that matched? Mandela. Yeah. There's no question that Mandela. No question. I think that was important. Yeah, no question. I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off. No question that Mandela was, was the person, uh, the best person at that moment. But as Ambassador Stith uh, said earlier in this conversation, it was it was a beautiful thing that Mandela realized um, that one term was enough and that there had to be a continuity of, of black uh, South African leaders. And of course, uh, uh, Tabo and Becky was up first behind him. Uh, but it was a, it was a powerful thing that uh, Mandela didn't let that go to his head. And he understood that after one term, it was time for him to step away and build and grow and open up the doors for other black leaders in that country to take the reins of, of that government. Uh, when we come forward, um, given what you just laid out, and we know the story, of course, but it, it, it's, it's remarkable, even to me, all these years later, uh, and I, I met Mandela a couple of times and, again, just um, humbled in his presence. But remarkable to me where he started and how he ends up as the president of that country. Uh, just a remarkable journey that's undeniable. I, I want to get you to compare and contrast um, the journey that Martin was on and the journey that Mandela was on, since you raised the name of Martin earlier in this conversation. Uh, before I do that, though, <clears throat> let me just mention the name of Randall Robinson. Uh, you mentioned this country. Uh, and and our boycotting uh, South Africa, and there are other countries that did the same, but it really was the pressure that the U.S. brought to bear um, that um, that uh, put pressure on that South African government. There are two names I want to raise, 
And if you don't know these names, Google them and read about them. Randall Robinson just passed away here not too long ago. We did a wonderful tribute uh, to Randall, who I knew well. Uh, and uh, Randall was leading an organization called Trans-Africa. And when Mandela got out of prison and came to this country, uh, Mandela said publicly that there's no way he would have been freed had it not been for the work and witness of one Randall Robinson. And so I want to just acknowledge Randall uh, in this moment. And Leon Sullivan, another name you should look up, Reverend Leon Sullivan. Uh, those Sullivan principles were really, really key. Uh, in addressing the issue of apartheid in South Africa. So two names, if you've never heard or don't know, that you should Google and read about, Leon Sullivan and Randall Robinson. I feel honored to have known both of them, as I am honored to know Dr. Claiborne Carson, who we'll talk more with when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. They both started um, at uh, different places, of course, um, had uniquely different journeys in in, in some way, uh, Dr. Claiborne Carson. But I'm, I'm, I'm wondering as a historian whether or not you could just sort of parallel for me right quick uh, the journey uh, of Martin King uh, to becoming the uh, iconic leader of our civil rights movement uh, and the iconic journey of, of, of Nelson Mandela um, uh, from from whence he came to eventually become the president of that country, which you were referencing earlier. How would you how would you compare and contrast parallel those journeys? Well, one of the best ways, I think, for anyone to understand, uh, for example, Nelson Mandela's journey is to look at the uh, documentary series, Have You Heard from Johannesburg? Mm-hmm. You know, it's a six-part series. Um, it, it brings together what was going on around the world, um, you know, obviously centered in South Africa, but taking place in uh, dozens of other countries uh, around the world uh, at Universities like Stanford, the largest uh, civil disobedience protest ever in the history of Stanford occurred over South Africa, mm-hmm. not over civil rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and the same way with uh, Martin Luther King is that, you know, you can tell the story from uh, Montgomery to Memphis. You know, and, uh, Martin Luther King happens to be in Montgomery at the same time Rosa Parks is. But without Rosa Parks, there would be nothing for Martin Luther King to unite to, become part of. You know, she was the one who made that decision to refuse to accept segregation on the buses. And women in Montgomery are the ones who brought together a movement and then asked Martin Luther King to become the spokesperson for that movement. And unless you understand that chronology where Mm. the, the initiative came from the women who refused to ride on segregated buses. Martin Luther King was the respondent. He was the one who said, yes, I you know, he got a telephone call, and would you speak at our meeting? And he said yes, and the rest is history. Um, but you have to understand that history. You have mm-hmm. to understand that um, at every stage, you know, Martin Luther King didn't start the sit-ins. He didn't start the freedom rides. He didn't uh, launch the movement in Birmingham. You know, you can list the, all the things he didn't do, but in each case, he responded to something that other people were doing, and he had that wonderful sense of oratory uh, that served him well as, uh, uh, you know, again, when we look at the March on Washington, lots of other people gave speeches that day. Yep. How many of them do any of you remember? (laughs) But you remember one. You remember that that last speech uh, where a lot of it was extemporaneous. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know, he was was given eight minutes on the stage. He took up 15 minutes. And that 
extra seven minutes was the difference between a good speech and a great speech. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that was his talent, was to be able to capture a moment and to, uh, you know, his great speech in, in Memphis is another example of that. Yeah. He, it, was, it was remarkable that he even got there. Yeah. It was a stormy night. He was not feeling well. But once he got on that stage, something happened, and we are the beneficiaries of that. We are indeed. Uh, we are celebrating Nelson Mandela Day, but you can't talk about Mandela without um, uh, mentioning the names, as uh, Dr. Carson did earlier in this conversation, Gandhi and King. Uh, three persons who changed the world, but we celebrate today the life and legacy of Nelson Mandela. Our remaining thoughts about Mandela when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. Carson, I want to close in these last uh, three and a half, four minutes with this. Um, Ambassador Stith uh, had his uh, opportunity earlier to say, as he did, that he's concerned and uh, worried about some of the criticism that Mandela is getting uh, all these years later vis-a-vis uh, -vis the economy in South Africa. That's the one thing he did not fix, the economy. He offered his own point of view. That's a lot to do in one presidential term, and you, you can't put too much on these icons, and I take that point. But it, it occurs to me that both Mandela and Martin, are, again, are subject to the same critique. Uh, they both succeeded at civil, C-I-V-I-L, rights for their people, Neither quite turned the corner on silver, S-I-L-V-E-R, rights for their country, uh, uh, for their people, rather. What, what do you make of that, that parallel? Tavis, I think that hits it right on the head in the sense that um, uh, the way I look at it, the 20th century was about our civil rights, that mm -hmm. is, our rights as citizens of a country. And they don't really have much to do with economic rights. Mm-hmm. You know, that we, we live in a very unequal world, um, and we live in a world of economic inequality within our own country, and very little was done about that. Uh, Martin Luther King was concerned about it, Nelson Mandela was concerned about it, but they didn't have the power at that time, and they didn't have a movement at that time. So I think that right now we're in this transition from how do you translate um, your citizenship rights, you know, what the, the rights you have because you have a passport to the right country, mm -hmm. with, with human rights, which is the right of every human being to have a decent chance at life. And when you look around the world, you find that passports don't do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that mm -hmm. An American passport is not the same as a passport from a small country in Africa. And and that is something that we still have to deal with going into the future of how do we how do we make the world a place where every human being has rights yeah. and uh, and I don't even think we speak that language right now we we still kind of speak in the language of of uh, citizenship rights. Nope, I take your point. It's a powerful point. I wish I had more time to unpack that. I got about two minutes left. Let me ask you this uh, as the exit question. Um, you know this better than better than anybody. Uh, uh, the longer or the farther away we get away uh, from Dr. King's time on earth, uh, the more criticism, the more critique on the one hand. On the other hand, the more beloved he is. The same is true of Mandela. Uh, the longer Mandela stays uh, in the grave, uh, the more critique, the more criticism we're going to have of his time. 
uh, on on Earth. And, and so my question is, given what you've seen regarding MLK, what say you about the legacy of Mandela as we celebrate what would have been his 105th birthday today on Nelson Mandela Day? Do you think his legacy is safe into the future? I, I think it's safe as as we can make a legacy, mm-hmm. you know, because you know. Our, no, we don't. In my lifetime, we haven't experienced a leader who is 100% successful. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if Martin Luther King uh, had survived his own life and then was still around, and you went up and asked him today, "Was your life successful?" You know, what answer would you get? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he, he was, as I said, he was involved in a poor people's campaign, sure. deal with economic issues. Yeah. And uh, that didn't go very far. Yep. And he he helped, he was already had a sense that that wasn't going to happen. Nelson Mandela the same thing. I'm sure that if he had had absolute power, he might have become a dictator. Yeah. But he but if he had had absolute power, he would have also done something more on the economic front. Yeah. Nope. I take your point. I take your point. Uh, but um, we celebrate today the life and legacy, as I said earlier, the work and witness of one Nelson Mandela on Nelson Mandela Day in this country and around the globe. Uh, Mandela would have been 105 years old today. I have a T-shirt, uh, one of my favorite T-shirts I wear from time to time. It has a big M on the front of it, and it says Marcus, Malcolm, Mandela, Martin, and me. Uh, and so we celebrate the life of Nelson Mandela. Dr. Carson, good to have you. I'm going to do it again somewhere down the road, my friend. All the best to you. Thank you for your time. Great to talk to you, Travis. Hour two of Tavis Smiley after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 15.